Hello and welcome to this week's Mouth of the Time podcast. I'm joined by regular Miles Starforth and Jordan Cronin, fellow Newcastle United writer, is in on this one today. Uh, another result, Miles. You were there at St James's Park last night. Um, it was quite emotional, wasn't it? Aside from the game itself, which which brings out certain other emotions largely, despite the fact it was a win, but it was quite an emotional night, wasn't it, for seeing the smiles back on people's faces and back in the ground and, and the reaction from the players as well. Yeah, it, it, it's funny even when the the goalkeepers were the first players to come out last night, and um, when when the three of them ran out with um, uh, Simon Smith. Just the cheer when they ran out was something I haven't heard at that stadium for you know fifteen months. That that was a kind of hair stand on your neck moment. Then more players came out for the for the warm up, um, and then of course at the start of the game, um, more so again. By by then, the, the, there was more or less everyone inside the stadium. But yeah, just even that small thing of a, a small cheer, you know, which is something you take for granted for how, however long we've all been going to St James's Park, and, and the hair stand. On the next stand up, yeah. um, and it was uh, yeah. I, I thought you know, ten thousand, just ten thousand. It's still a big number um, compared to the you know the reduced capacities elsewhere. I thought the atmosphere was terrific. Really, I don't know how it came across on TV, but more or less throughout the game there was chanting, there was singing. Um, it was ter- yeah, it was terrific. The the the, the game itself. Wasn't the best, but there was there was moments of brilliance. We look, we can talk about San Maximum and, and one or two other moments, but certainly the occasion was was special for me, and and I was obviously one of the ones fortunate enough to be inside the stadium. Yeah, it was it was quite a special. And what were the emotions that invoked with you, Jordan? Obviously, like myself, you watched it on the TV last night. I found that it was loud. It did come across. There's a really positive atmosphere. Um, obviously, there was some chance. We'll probably get into a little bit of that later on. Um, but it was ultimately a really positive experience, it seems, for everybody watching it on from the sofas as well as people who went. Yeah, you could, you could tell there was a, a massive difference from the last 12 months when we've had fake crowd, uh, fake crowd noises. Obviously, they've tried to resemble what's in the stadium. but Never again. Watching, Never no. again. Oh, do well, it's just such a contrast, and you know you've, you've had these fake crowd noises, and they were just they were just awful. They, they didn't actually resemble really what the fans and stadiums offer, and that was proven yesterday. Um, to see, you, you heard every child. Miles said there there was ten thousand in the stadium. You'd think probably it was a, a full house, um, and just the moment for me as well. Just when when Willick scored, it was just just taking it in. At the commentator stopped for a bit after, and it was just taking in the noise again. Um, I wasn't there, but it was. It was quite emotional, and hopefully, you know, it's it's the start of fans being back in grounds because, you know, football just isn't the same without them. Let's talk shop. We're all journalists here. Not everyone else out there will maybe get this, but Miles, the, the couple of games that I, I've done, uh, you've done a lot more games than myself. Um, I found it really, really difficult to cover because there's there's natural noises sounds feelings that you get for example say if you're just typing on your on your laptop and people might out, out there might not realize but it is quite a busy experience a match day um we're doing a lot of different things at the same time i found myself often almost missing goals or, or missing big chances because you don't get that you don't get that alert from a from a crowd rising that must have been quite nice to go back to some form of normality in that sense miles yeah, you're right. I think what people maybe don't realise is 
the, the amount we have, we're, we're writing, we're on social media during a game. It's a, it's a big chunk of the game where you're actually not not watching on the game you reported on. That that's a fact. And um, the more we do, the less game we see. Um, so you, you are reliant either from a nudge of the person sat next to you or from a broader crowd if something's happening and you can kind of buried in laptop finishing the report off or, or or filing something or you know or sending a tweet out. Uh, yeah, you haven't had that crowd that kind of uh, the, the kind of ex- the anticipation. You know, if, if the ball gets in a dangerous area and there's someone making a run at the far far post, you get this kind of you can feel it, you can hear it, like that. And of course, we've all been at uh, right at the back of the stand in the in the executive boxes until last night, and you're so far removed from the pitch as well. You you can still hear the shouts, but you. You're a lot closer. I'm very fortunate to be in the, the position we are in the press box, a lot closer to the pitch. But uh, yeah, you see, it, 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 it's a weird experience. What, what I found odd was how quickly you get used to it, how, how quickly it becomes normal. Um, of course, you miss the fans, but you, you, you kind of, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine a full stadium now after 15 months since we last experienced that. It's, Did it feel new again? Did yeah, it yeah, yeah, it did because you kind of when you walk in, it's, oh, there's, there's some fans stood there. There's not a fence there. Uh, oh, he, he he's just walking into the ground. And it, yeah. it, it, it was like kind of kid in a sweet shop. It was, it it, it was it was brilliant. Um, it felt new because it maybe you just institutionalized or, or or something like that. But you you kind of quickly adjusted. To, you had to adjust to this 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 sanitized soulless kind of football and you and you just focus on as best you can on the game but with without this kind of crowd this living breathing kind of stadium kind of reacting to to everything that's going on the pitch but it was it, yeah it was it was brilliant um and we you know we had fans in the director's box i think some of them had, had a bit too much to drink scream screaming away um every kick and uh every kick of the game um and you've probably seen the pictures on social media. Joe Willock had a live audience for his post-match interview. Um, that must have been an experience for him. And I'm sure we'll talk about Willock uh, in, in a minute. He was the one again with the goal. I'll come to you on this one, Jordan. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the, the performance itself. Um, how did you find the performance? Did you think... I've seen a lot of negative uh, talk of people who were there. And maybe I was a little bit guilty of being sucked into the occasion. Um but I actually quite I actually enjoyed it as a spectacle. Um, although the second half was a bit of a letdown, very it was sort of punctuated by injury and, and stoppages and things like that, which didn't help the flow of the game. But I ultimately actually I took a bit of criticism myself on social media for saying I was entertained, but I was. I did actually feel entertained during that game, even though Newcastle have played a lot better, even in recent weeks. Yeah, I think I think the start was a, was a bit flat to be honest. Um with the fans being by, I expected Newcastle to come out all all guns blazing, but I think really Sheffield United sort of took control of the opening stages. But the thing the thing over the last few weeks with Newcastle, and, and, and this credit goes to Steve Bruce here as well, they are a lot more entertaining to watch. Um, and, you've you, you know, Alan St. Maximum, some of the tricks he pulled off um, yesterday was absolutely exceptional. So when he got on the ball more, Newcastle grew into the game and uh, they had chances. And obviously they got the goal on the brink of half-time. And then, you know, it, I'd hope for a few more goals, but um, I suppose the, I don't know, the, the dive down a bit in the second half really it wasn't a, it wasn't a great performance. But again, I, I think away from the performance, really, it, it was really just about the fans being back and 
Um, I know you touched upon there. I mean, fans may have been disappointed by the performance, but it wasn't about that, was it? It was, it was about being back on the ground and something the atmosphere again. And, you know, Newcastle at the end of the day did, did give them three points that they've obviously created, created for, I think, about 15 months now when I haven't been in the, in the stadium. Uh, that's an important point, isn't it? That, that there was a sense of disappointment from some people because of the performance, but ultimately you would have you would have snapped somebody's hand off for that kind of result, wouldn't you? Maybe you only six weeks ago and you're casting it at this point are disappointed with the, the performance and not the result, which is ultimately a positive place to be in, in a lot of ways. Um, well, it was it, 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 the thing was, uh, you know, during this improved run and the, the team's got some results. It's been playing a counter-attacking game. It's been, you know, inviting teams to come out come at them and then hit them on the break and it was a just it was a different kind of uh, scenario last night uh, it, it was the opposite and it was up to Newcastle to force the game and I thought Sheffield United they, they didn't create a great deal but they were they were quite organised they moved the ball around and they, they were awkward, awkward and difficult to kind of create those chances any gaps um, for, for big spells of the game and that's why it needed to pass like that one from some maximum to kind of really open them up and it, I, I think that's something to do with it it was more of a the onus on Newcastle to take the game to them as opposed to to hit a hit a kind of a, a better team on the break which is what we've seen in some of the recent games um, but uh, no I, I, as Jordan says I, it was about the occasion about a step towards normality and a, you know a big stride towards what we hope will be a full stadium at the start of next season Fingers crossed for that. We all hope for that, even as journalists as well. It just makes for a much more enjoyable experience for everybody going to the game, win, lose or draw, is that fans are there because they're the beating heart and the lifeblood of, of, of our football club and football clubs um, across the land as well. A couple of star, star turns from, from the night. Jordan, I'll come to you first on this. You mentioned it a little bit in your previous comment about Alan St. Maximin. Um, at times it was playground stuff that he was pulling off, wasn't it? It was... It was a lad who who turned up on the day and really really wanted to entertain, um, and Miles, I'll come to you in a second on on Joel Willock as well because there's a lot of talk and there's been some questions about his future as well. But Jordan, Alan St Maximin, he is he is something else really, isn't he? Yeah, we we all know how good Alan St Maximin is, but I I just think during this period when he's came back from injury and in Newcastle needed him, he's came back a. I think the best version of Alan St. Maxwell, to be honest, I think this is the best form he's been in, in his Newcastle career. Um, there was no doubt in my mind that yesterday he was going to come on and entertain because that's what he is. He's, he's a crowd pleaser and, and he done just that. Um, there was a bit, in the, a bit of skill in the second half when he'd done the, the, the no-look pass. It was yeah. just, it was, and the camera caught it beautifully as well. And it, um, it was just great to see, you know. I just hope now, because I think he's re- he really is in the limelight now where clubs are, Looking at him, I just hope Newcastle can can keep holding on the season. There was a there was an interview with him with Sky about his future, and I just hope that new uh, that Alan St. Maxim is a player that Newcastle can keep hold on for a lot of years. And if if the takeover is to go through, which I'm sure I will touch upon, it, and he's a player you really need to start building your team around because he's just he's just brilliant. He's um, he's one of the best players I think I've watched uh, at Newcastle really in in my lifetime. To be honest, uh, in terms of entertaining value, one of the key things about keeping an Alan St. Maximum potentially. Uh, which he mentioned in an interview, I think, uh, very recently, Miles, was is hanging on to somebody like Joel Willock. I mean, he was another one who who maybe in January there wasn't too many eyebrows raised, you know, too many people getting excited, sorry, about the idea of signing an Arsenal reserve, somebody who couldn't get in the Arsenal side, but he's gone out there and really proven his doubters wrong, hasn't he? Oh, he's been, been terrific, really. Um, 
great energy. And it, again, repeatedly, we talk about this, having a midfielder who just gets in the right place at the right time, uh, such an asset to, to any team. We've had, we've had a history of them at this club and um, to score six in a row is phenomenal, really, uh, especially for a player, you know, for a player of his age, still learning his trade, still adapting to the, you know, to, to, to playing week in, week out. Uh, it's an interesting one because the noises seem to be coming out of Arsenal a few weeks ago that they wouldn't be so, might not be uh, particularly prepared to sell him. Um, obviously, a, a loan next season would be perfect for, for Newcastle, given everything Steve Bruce has said about the the transfer window and the the, the, the impact of uh, COVID and the, the, the funds available. Um, so that'll be interesting. If, if Arsenal want a, a huge sum for him, it's hard to see that move being, you know, be made permanent this summer. If Arsenal want to have a look at him in pre-season, then they may be loaning him out. That would, that would be perfect. Um, but yeah, it, it, it much, much depends away. It all really depends on Arsenal. He, I'm sure he, you know, given everything he said, would be, would be quite happy to return, you know, turn on loan and maybe even in the longer term. Yeah, I think it's one that Newcastle, you've just got to make sure they're, they're absolutely a part of that conversation. Whatever happens with Joe, like this summer, in my opinion, um, I think there's a number of ways to look at it. Arsenal, as a football club, will be looking to take themselves from ninth to fourth, top four. That's where they'll want to be back. Um, and, and will they look at it and say, is Joe the type of player who can do that? I'm not so sure. I think they might be looking at others. Um, They've, they, they've got a history of taking uh, high-profile players in there. They've done it in January to replace Joe Willock. And I think they could go down that avenue again. But they'd be, they'd be daft themselves not to have another look at him. Because I know one of the criticisms from people, speaking to people who, who know people at Arsenal was was that they talked about uh, it was the, the end product. Um, they could see the energy that he had, the legs, all that kind of thing. But they, they didn't see how, um, if, he, if he had it in him to, to produce the end product, and Newcastle's really shown that. Um, he's shown he can get on the end of things. He's shown he can finish. He's shown he can create. Um, he's a menace. He's a real number eight. Like, isn't he? He'll, he'll get forward. He'll. Miles, you mentioned it there. You talk about players, and, and I've not seen anybody arrive in the box like him, like since like Genie Wijnaldum did it that one season, where he was just always in the right place at the right time. You've said it. The history we've talked about on here before. You Kevin Nolans and and. Gary Speeds and Rob Lees and, and there's been plenty of them down the years um, who've had that knack of, of just getting in the right place at the right time from midfield and I think he's part of illustrious company being talked about in that in that, um, in that that category and I think he thoroughly deserves it but what I would look at to say is that you mentioned that if, if they want an exorbitant fee, it's just not going to be in Newcastle it's power this summer, it just isn't um, I don't know if it's going to be in many clubs power, being brutally honest um, I think 15 months of COVID is really going to Come home to roost for many, but but my opinion um, on the whole uh, summer ahead, even if that includes Joe Willock or not, is is that they can take lessons from signing Joe Willock in January. Um, it was a relatively low cost, low risk transfer. They tried it the January previous. It didn't. It had limited results. But I think that's something that can be. Um, they do tend to try try and keep their loan deals uh, the powder dry on that till till the January, but. I think this summer could be one where they're going to have to maybe utilise it with budgets being tight. Um, looking at the free transfers, looking to see if they can get low-cost loans in um, and just see what's out there because there is there is value even even at clubs in and around them. I mean, Arsenal, when, when Newcastle signed, uh, Joe Willock weren't, weren't a million miles ahead of them in the division. Um, and you've got to look at it and see is there, is there players in this division who maybe aren't getting a look in at clubs in and around you who could come in and fit into a system and do a job. 
And I think they're going to have to box clever. And I think if I think the teams who do well this summer are the teams who've got the best scouting system, best uh, analytics, best statistics. People they'll be able to work all that out. Um, and, and good good quality scouting, um, the old school stuff. Do I think Newcastle United sit in that category? I, I would suggest their transfer activity doesn't suggest that they do. Um, but you know, I, I think there's a, I think a lot of people are seeing this this summer window as a as a disaster scenario but for me i think i think it, it can be seen as a window of opportunity for people because january's window proves that, that that you can go out and not spend a lot of money and still bring in somebody who can add real value to your team and and Nikassi, they're going to need that they, they look in an ideal world if money was no object and, and 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 you could go out and transform the midfield with two or three signings which is what probably need you would you would totally reboot the back four because it's aging yeah, sorry, the back, the, the centre half, not the back four. Well, I think I think you've 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 touched on something there. Just even the back four, back five. Last summer, when when these decisions were making, did 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 we know what shape the team was going to be in, what system, formation? No. no, is that going to be an advantage this summer? We're we're all assuming Steve Bruce is still still in charge. There's you know the the takeover at least won't go through before these decisions have been made. So. Um, is the you know you'd think it'd be an advantage now if they've got a clearer idea of what they need, how they're going to play, what systems they're going to play. Uh, there's more of a structure about things because were they signing players last summer for a, for a back four or back five or what kind of game plan? Yeah, that's that's the thing we've talked about in here as well before, isn't it? That, that you would think there are, there seems a little bit more of an identity, which is something we really struggled to to grasp under Steve Bruce. You had it under Rafa Benitez, but there is an identity there now. Um, and and I hope they do take that forward and and don't just pick up anybody and everybody. Just just try and pick up players that you think are going to add to your team. And Willock was was a, one of those under the radar signings in January that really has. He was picked to give more legs to the Newcastle midfield. Um, I remember speaking to people at the time, and, and there was a lot of talk of um, Maitland Niles, and, and everybody saw him as the as a as a real you know in the fringes of the England squad, and he was the one you needed to pick up, but. I was told at the time that, that the one they targeted wasn't Maitland-Niles, it was it was Willock all, all along. And that's to me, that, that's really positive that they've looked at that and seen a proper number eight who can't get in, but that's desperately what Newcastle United are lacking. And have signed it and put him in the right position, um, which both systems have suited him really, um, whether it was the false nine, the, the four, three, three, or whether it was the five. Um, it's given him licence to get forward. Um, Jordan, I'll come to you on one other player as well that, that I thought actually suited last night and, and did... Almost in a, he's he's gone missing. Not not gone missing in terms of energy and running and athleticism and effort, but gone missing in terms of influence in games. And that's Miguel Almiron. But I thought last night the game seemed to suit him a little bit more. And maybe he's just um, warming to that position a little bit in the role. Or maybe it was just a case that he got a little bit more space against a lesser lesser side. Yeah, I think over the over the last few weeks when they went to the the five at the back system with with three in midfield that. Almiron's game has been sort of limited in, in a sense where um, you know he hasn't been able to get forward as much. He hasn't been able to influence the game attacking wise. But I think um, you know he's always he's always offered that work rate, and I think that's why you've got to put him in the team. But we're seeing yesterday as well. He he, he got forward a bit more. He don't get us wrong. I think his decision making in some parts was disappointing. Um, but you know he's, he's in the team because he's work rate and. Whether whether he's he's not having a game, not having an impact on the game attacking wise, he's still there for his work rate, and I think that's the biggest compliment you can give him is that he's he's probably one of the most hardest work hard working players in Castle have got. Um, but yeah, in terms of yesterday, I thought that was probably one of his 
best performance really throughout this run where they've, where they've changed formation. Um, I've seen he got a bit of criticism really of some fans, but again, you, you just you just got to look at what he is and he's, he's he's got so much heart and that smile as well on his face. You, you, you love to see it. So, um, yeah, I was really impressed with him last night. Miles, there was, you were there, we were at home. There was some chanting, some booing. Can you shed any light on that for people who may well have not been there? Well, I know there's been a lot of talk, you know, as there is on social media in, in the build-up to the game, you know, you know, about Steve Bruce was or wasn't going to get from, from fans. But during the 90 minutes, there, there was nothing that, that really the crowd got behind the team. But obviously, after the cameras had switched off or gone to the adverts or, or, or cut to whatever, and it was a lack of appreciation. And the again, I was kind of sat typing, just finishing things off. So I was I was watching it. But then, once the players set off uh, on this lap, there was there was a buzz all around the stadium. You know, rightly so because the 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 run in recent weeks has has been very very good. The league position doesn't look great. I'll be honest. The season hasn't been great, I'll be honest, but from where we were five, six weeks ago, you, you've got to give them, them all credit, the players, coaching staff. So that was, you know, after all we, what we've been through, even over the last, past 15 months, the players had set off on this lap of appreciation. Um, and I started typing again, and then I heard these boos, and I looked up, and kind of Steve Bruce had kind of joined behind them. And uh, during this lap, the, the, it was... From that moment, it was really kind of punctuated by boos. Don't get me wrong; fans were kind of applauding and booing at the same time. I think it was it, it was it was an odd odd situation, but it, we can only assume it's it, it was directed at Steve Bruce. Um, during the game, there'd been nothing; they'd been brilliantly supportive of the team. Yeah, so he, he had uh, he had this lap with his players, and and there was boos each, you know, as the as the group got round each part of the, the stadium before finally coming back up the tunnel. And he was asked about the, this after the game. He actually asked, kind of, was a reference to it in one of the, the first TV interviews. I think he'd um, said, did he expect any, any have a pint or a fan to buy him a pint near the ground? And he, he, and he kind of said, no, I think I'll, I'll just go home. Uh, and then he was asked in the kind of the press conference and he, and he re- repeated what he said when he first joined the club, he says, you know, I said, I said on day one, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, and he says, just again, people are entitled to their opinions. It looked like it, it looked like it looked a little hurt. It looked like it affected him a little bit because we've spoken a bit, you know, about whether there's a bubble there, whether there's an awareness um, of the feeling of supporters. You know, Steve Bruce has, has kind of lashed out at the, the journalists and the media a lot for, the criticism. Um, he's spoken a lot about social media and um, the criticism there. Um, so, you know, there were more, not less the criticism, more the vile abuse. Though he's, he's maintained people are entitled to, to you know, to, 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 to be critical, and there's been good reasons to be this season. But he, he looked, he, you know, it looked, looked like it looked like it, it, it affected him really because this was the first time we've seen it inside the stadium from um, supporters really. Um, and obviously, this this wasn't picked up by the TV cameras because it had all switched away to to the adverts or whatever. It it, it was strange TV coverage last night, Miles. Um, 
it was like on Sky Sports Mix and all of a sudden it, the game just disappeared five minutes after after the end. So we didn't see any of the post-match interviews or anything. So so it's quite enlightening to hear exactly how, how it all panned out. I mean, Jordan, we didn't hear any of this, but what do you make of it? I mean, for me, I look at it and say, I think Steve Bruce has, has been a little bit naive in thinking that, that it was only social media. I know a lot of a lot of fans who aren't on social media who can only go to the match or and they feel exactly the same as, as the vocal minority it was seen as on social media. They they genuinely detest the way that this, this club has been managed, um, not only from Mike Ashley, but also from Steve Bruce as well. They're not happy the way that, that he's been, uh, certain decisions he's made, uh, tactics, lack of them, um, really, really poor results, really poor performances. But then the bit that always sticks in the throat for many people is the jibes and it's the digs at fans. And I always find that is a, such a dangerous place for any football manager, a really dangerous road to walk down. When you start criticising your own, they never forget and they do get you back at some point. Yeah, I think, I think you've hit me on the head there, to be honest. Um, I'll be honest, I did feel a bit sorry for when I found out fans were boom because um, as much as fans are entitled, I, I thought, again, I'll go back to the occasion, I thought it wasn't really about that. But then again, it's, it's 12 months of anger towards Bruce that they couldn't vent so I can completely understand why fans of sections of fans have chosen to, to boost the Bruce um, I mean you know as you mentioned there with the, with the jibes once 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 you go to war with supporters there's no no going back and you've touched upon it perfectly his little bubble that he's had I don't think he's realised how much he's he's wound up fans so I mean the, the booing really it's justified um, as much as it was sort of a, a shame in a way. Um, but I think in, in terms of in terms of Steve Bruce's future, he's going to be safe. But I think as in terms of the relationship with the fans, I think I think it's broken, and I think you'll find very very hard to mend that. So I think you did the pre-match press conference, Liam. Yeah. But one one thing I've I've kind of said for a while now: he, he, when he's humble and he holds his hand up, he, he comes across well. He speaks he speaks well. It's when yeah, he's when he comes when he when he comes out kind of swinging, um, which is you know obviously instinct we we all have at times. But he's angry or hurt by something, and he comes out swinging. He, he comes across less well, but the kind of you know the humble, honest Steve Bruce, um, it, you you can you can it's a lot easier to listen to uh, than than the one who you know um, we've seen on occasions. Um, because he, we, he can't directly criticise fans, so he, he has a go at journalists, which, you know, on occasions over the past couple of years, because um, obviously we've been critical at tel- critical as well at times. But, uh, yeah, you, you, what were your thoughts? Because you covered the pre-match press conference and, uh, for this game. Well, I spoke to you, that. I spoke to you about that. And, and, you know, for the first time, um, I thought we saw a human side to Steve Bruce. I thought he was quite... You mentioned the word humble. I think that describes it quite well. He was, he was, um, yeah. He, he, he portrayed a different side that I haven't seen. Of course, I haven't been in all of the, the press conference, but it's not one. It's one I haven't seen. And you've said yourself, it's rare that you've seen it as well. But that that humble, um, conciliatory, you know, just quite um, grounded, accepting of mistakes, um, talking about how we can move on. I think the only way that Steve Bruce can move on from this. Is to adopt that as his um, his only stance that he can take. I don't think the 
celebratory well I was right all along which is a stance that he's taken a couple of times recently uh, with you guys in the in the post match press conferences um isn't the way forward I think it's I think it, it comes across as arrogant um and and when results aren't there there's no place for arrogance at all um there's no place for an ar- arrogance from a manager who's overseen um, a team that flirted, went, flirted with relegation for three, four months of the season. There is no place for arrogance. Yeah, it makes me because it makes me think back to the, the the Brentford presser after the game, after the cup defeat in December. Um, as bad as that game was, um, straight away on the press, Steve Bruce kind of held his hands up. You know, we deserve everything that's coming our, our way. Um, we we're, were aware this wasn't good enough. You know, it was along those lines. And it, and as bad as the game was, he kind of spoke well. And I thought, well, you you. You've got that right in terms of how you've handled that. Obviously, after a week of criticism, he's, he's come out swinging, yeah. saying a lot of it was un, unjust, and and it, it it the season's been punctuated by kind of you know misjudgments and moments like that where he's he's got the kind of tone wrong, and I recognise it's not easy to get the tone right. It, um, but he's got obviously got people around him who who, who will will be advising him. He, he he has to listen to that and 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 take on board what they they say. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how going forward if we if we see a better tone, a better you know a better message from from him. Assuming he's going to be you know staying in charge for the time being for the foreseeable future. Well, that kind of brings on quite smoothly onto. There's been some uh, minor, some may call it, some see them as major takeover developments this week, and I've had a few messages this week, so I'll close up this this podcast with a few of my comments on. On the particular subject, I've had a few messages from fans out there saying, "Are you going to do a mouth of the time this week?" It's always difficult with a midweek game when we're all over the place. But they've said, "Will you do a mouth of the time?" We'll always do a mouth of the time. We'll always find time for you out there if we can, uh, if it's humanly possible. And they've been asking a lot about, um, "Will we talk about the takeover developments?" Which was um, this: the CAT um, Competition Appeals Tribunal papers that, that came out this week, which essentially showed um, that the Premier League have applied for a uh, delay the proceedings. Um, I'll address that one first. I mean, my my opinion on that is it doesn't look good. It's not great. It's delay, delay, delay. It's all we've talked about for 15 months. And I know for a fact that that is what the Premier League's approach has been for the last 15 months and um, delay and not make a decision. But what I would say is in, in their defence on this particular occasion, they have known largely that there is a, an anti-competition case probably going to come at some point. It was one of those tanks that Mike Ashley kind of had lined up from the back end of last year and eventually decided to fire it in April. Um, but this is this is an argument that these are arguments and, and, and uh, things that have been put together in the anti-competition case over months and months and months of preparation um, spending lots and lots of money on lots of expensive legal people. And it is absolutely, in, in the Premier League's defence, it's no surprise that they feel they need a little bit longer to formulate their own arguments than two weeks, considering Mike Ashley's been putting these together probably for the best part of six to eight months. So it is no surprise that they've asked for that slight extension. There wasn't a, they asked for 28 days. I think they ended up getting about 22, 24. So there is a, an acceptance from the judge who made that decision that, look, you've had you've had a good amount of time. We're not going to let you delay indefinitely, which I know is something that, that a lot of people out there um, have concerns about. But, but for me, the key... On time scales, that that's sorry, that is the eleventh of June that the Premier League now have until uh, five pm on the eleventh of June to to basically contest. They, they said uh, in loose loose terms that they would contest this. 
So they look like they're going to fight. That would be my take on it. I'm not a legal expert. Don't come out as legal experts. I know there's lots of them on Twitter there. But I'll, I'll, that's kind of my take on it. Um, the key bit was, though, that not only have we got the June 11 timescale, we've also got the July timescale, a very loose one. But it's talking of the arbitration, the actual arbitration, the Premier League arbitration. Now, these two things are two very, very different things with very, very different potential implications. Um, you'd probably want the, the competition case to run before the arbitration if you guarantee the one to take over because it seems pretty damning. And some of the, the evidence that's been put together in that case, it sounds as though um, from the little loose bits that you hear that, that things are pretty strong in that sense. Arbitration less so. Um, that doesn't mean they don't think that they'll win the arbitration, but the arbitration is definitely less so because they try to get changes. They believe they believe that the panel, the panel in some ways, um, is is I don't I need to use the right terminology here, but uh, weighted. They feel the panel the panel is weighted in, in a certain direction, and that's obvious from the way that they try to get Michael Belloff and QC struck off as chair of that arbitration panel because. He himself did not disclose that he'd done previous work for the Premier League. Um, a very strange tactic from somebody um, so high up and so, so legally minded that, that he didn't declare. But, but that was all laid out in, in the the, um, the High Court ruling that came out uh, only a few weeks back. But what I would say is to people is that get positive, be positive, be negative, be whatever you want. Um, but ultimately, uh, the takeover... And the legal proceedings are in a much better place now than they were over the winter months, where there was a lot of uncertainty. I would say now at least it feels like there is a degree of certainty about this. Of course, the Premier League are remain in the delay mentality, um, are trying to push back the date for submission of evidence for the arbitration as well. Um, all I would say to everybody out there is if you see them as a delay, 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 um, kind of organisation and, and their, their legal people in Bird and Bird who are widely renowned for that um, that kind of procedure and, and, and doing this kind of thing that yeah I think they won't be able to delay forever that's that's the, the, the positive that I would take from that and I do believe that we'll get some kind of decision next question a lot of people are asking is when I mean it, it's it's impossible to know um, really is impossible to know. I've said this on numerous occasions. I think if everything was allowed to play out indefinitely, I do believe that they would get the decision that they want. But time is the one thing that largely most people can't control. So there's no point in worrying about it, really. I, I think I think it's impossible to know. Anybody who tell, who sits out there and tells you they know exact dates is, is guessing. I've seen a lot of so-called experts in the last six weeks talk about how the idea of arbitration must have already started. And that's why the, the competition action must have been fired up because things weren't going very well. Well, now we know from the legal documents via CAT that it doesn't start until July. So so I would always just I, I urge this at the start of the year and I'll continue to urge this, just be very careful about the people that you listen to and choose to believe because there's a lot of people out there and I'm talking about in the no accounts and all these kind of things that will lead you down the garden path. What we'll always try and do here at the Gazette is just trying to give you an honest balanced opinion using the legal knowledge that we have although minor and, and, and the documents that are out there and, and the context we'll try and give you the context of that so what i would say to everybody is just just stick with it be patient you can't control the time you can't put a time scale on it. it'll happen when it happens if it happens um 
But I think my personal opinion on this is I remain hopeful. And I also think that that it is in a better place than it probably was a few months ago. You've summed it up better than I could ever could. And so you've been doing a lot of work on this. But uh, yeah, we've been saying it for you know however long now about being patient but it's obviously hard hard for to be patient given um, how long it's now taking but um could be could be a few few more months before before we get kind of some kind of resolution but um hopefully sooner rather than later well one thing that i would say that again i'm not a legal expert on the arbitration itself which i'm not necessarily saying this is a good thing by the way if you want to take over that's the standpoint you come from is that it's an expedited uh, arbitration as well. So that's basically in, in layman's terms, like a fast track arbitration. So that will, when that date's set, it could be the 1st of July, it could be the 30th of July, but that might come quite quickly. I don't know exact time scales on that, but it is a fast track version. So if it ends up going ahead in July, I mean, could you say, could you say you might have a decision within a month? Could it be too much? I, I honestly, couldn't start to predict, but but the one thing that it says is expedited. So so that means it's it's a fast track. So who knows? Timescales on this thing have proved problematic for many a journalist out there because there was a lot of people, rightly so, given the information that was kicking around probably in May last year, that this takeover was very, very close to being passed. Were the messages coming out of the likes of the Premier League and their legal teams? So something changed, and I'm sure. We'll get to the bottom of it. Disclosure will probably reveal some things that none of us knew and, and still continue not to know. So on that note, before I get myself in legal hot water, I'll, I'll close that one up. Thanks a lot, Miles. Thanks, Jordan. This was a Mouth of the Tyne uh, Shields Gazette production, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.